amen, and welcome church. I already said Happy New Year last week, but if you weren't here, Happy New Year again. Um, uh, this morning, I'm going to be preaching just here in a little bit. Before I do that, I want, uh, my wife, Ashley, she had a word that she felt like God was stirring, uh, and really for us as a church, she wanted to share this morning, so go for it. Well, I want to say Merry Christmas, because we all pray for <laughs> snow on Christmas, and now it's snowing. <laughs> and so we're just pretending yes. that it's Christmas again. Okay, well, I wanted to, what I felt like the Lord laid on my heart was just about wisdom and how he, Christ himself is wisdom. He, he is. It isn't knowing things necessarily, but it's knowing him. He is our source of wisdom. And um, it talks about in 1 Corinthians 2 being resolved to know nothing except for Jesus Christ and him crucified. And that we don't come with wise and persuasive words, but we come with a demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith might not rest on, on the wisdom of man, but on the power of God. And it just feels like in this in this week and, and all the things that we have gone through that the Lord's just like highlighting it. He's, he's shouting it, cheering it, mm-hmm. like seek me, seek simplicity of like the simplicity of the gospel. And especially when we're tempted to feel like we need to have wise and persuasive words or understand things and understand all the different ways that we should be thinking or other people should be thinking or how to respond when things feel hard. And I feel like he's just saying again and again, like he is wisdom. And when you seek him, you will find him. It's a promise, and he will, he will give us all the wisdom that we need. And so we don't need to go out searching for the persuasive, wise words. We just need to search for him. And every time we do, we will find him. And he will give us all that we need. And um, so this, this, pas- this passage, it's in Proverbs 3, and it's actually the Passion Translation. Um, and, it, and this is what I am praying for us as a church, that it, that it will be the fruit of us simply seeking him. And it's Proverbs 3, 21 through 26 in the Passions, Passion Translation. And it says, my child, never drift off course from these two goals for your life. To walk in wisdom, which is Jesus Christ, you know, the vine and the branches. Walk in Jesus, walk in wisdom, and to discover discernment. Because he will give it to us as we walk in him. Don't ever forget how they empower you, for they strengthen you inside and out and inspire you to do what is right. You will be energized and refreshed by the healing they bring, and they will give you living hope to guide you. And not one of life's tests will cause you to stumble. You will sleep like a baby, safe and sound. Your rest will be sweet and secure. And so that is my prayer for us as we, um, as we seek Jesus in simplicity, that he will give us that fruit in our life. And it reminds me of two quick testimonies. One is as we seek him, it's just so simple. But I remember the story of my friend who was trying to help a lost or an unbeliever with his computer. And that was like how they were connecting. And he told me, he said, I know God, and, I, and he talks to me. He tells me things, not just in the Bible, but he'll speak to my heart. And the unbeliever was like, no, 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 and like, just didn't, didn't believe that that would be true about God to speak to us. And he 
um, didn't like test the unbeliever or anything, but he just was trying to help him with the problem with the computer, couldn't, and went to sleep that night, and my friend had a dream. And in the dream, it was like the exact thing that needed to be happen to the computer, which they had not been able to find out after a long time of working. And he didn't know that much about computers, but he, in this dream, it was like, I don't know about computers either, but it was just like, A plus B, you know, will get you to the right answer. And so then he goes and he said, last night, God gave me a dream. And in the dream, this is what he showed me. Can we try it on your computer to see if it will work, you know? And then, of course, you know, it did. And the, the unbeliever was just so touched in his heart. And, like, the faith began to rise that God really will, like, speak to us. And so, um, and then the last thing is that I've been telling my kids this week, what if God what if we were preparing like we prepare for daddy to come home from work, but what if it was Jesus that was coming? What would you do to get the house ready? What would you do to get yourself ready? You know, and my four-year-old Gwyneth was like, I would decorate the house with unicorns. And I was like, oh, that's fun. And she, you know, and then like, you know, Evelyn was like, I would make sure it was very clean and I would put on a sparkly dress, you know, and just all the different things that they would do for Jesus if he was like coming to our house. And I just felt like that, that was the, the, posture of our heart in this season of like he's returning you know and so it's not like oh I need to be fit for him but it's like what can we do to prepare our hearts every day to encounter him to welcome to usher his return and so those are the things I'll just pray Lord I thank you for my friends I thank you for what you're teaching us I ask for just hunger for you the simplicity of the gospel to rise up in our hearts that you would protect and guide us with it and I just ask for love and trust and peace and unity among us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Isn't that good? Probably not a lot of people have thought about preparing for Jesus with unicorns. But, <laughs> hey, you know what? That's why God says we need more childlike faith. Amen? Right. To believe for the impossible. Um, well, hopefully you feel encouraged by that. And again, just want to affirm what Ashley was sharing is that really as we seek wisdom that is not found in man or woman, it's found in God. And advice, we love advice from people, but the true sense of wisdom and discernment is found in the Lord. And the scriptures are filled with, with, with affirming that and with giving us access to that. It's not only in the word of God, though, it's also in the voice of the Lord, him speaking to us, be it in a dream or another opportunity. God wants to speak to his people present day. But remember, he's always speaking things, and he may say it in a different way that's already been said. Does it make any sense? He's, he's not going to detract from his nature or who he is. He's going to reaffirm it or maybe expound upon it or highlight it in a way that maybe we haven't seen it. And so we always go back to whatever God is speaking is in alignment with the nature of God and with who he is. And the word of God gives us that solid foundation, that rock, for us to properly discern what those things are. Well, um, this morning, I wanted to start out by um, just sharing just briefly about the events of this week. Uh, just thought it would probably be helpful for us as we're all... Uh, absorbing news and opinions about everything, which seems to be 2020. Um, it seems like there's always something going on um, and uh, usually tends to be in the negative. As I like to say, news doesn't make its money off positive stories. It makes its money off negative stories. And, um, and sadly, we live in a fallen, broken world uh, that has issues. And we believe that Jesus Christ and the church is the hope of the world. 
meaning that if we will simply commit our lives to him, love him, honor him, obey him, and love the next person in front of us, that that's how the world gets changed, not necessarily through policy or elections or through money or power. It is not through those places. It is actually when I am weak, he is strong. And when I surrender to him, then he makes things happen. And so it's not in our control or ability for whatever that may mean to you. It's in our surrendered lifestyle. And as we look throughout history, we can see is the most powerful people in this sense in the kingdom of God were actually very weak people who just surrendered everything to Jesus and said, Lord, use me as a chosen instrument or tool and I'll do whatever you want me to do. But that's what God's looking for is a generation of people to say, Lord, I surrender. What would you what would you have me do? But just to speak a little bit back into <clears throat> this week as the events that unfolded at the U.S. Capitol, obviously I am saddened and disheartened. Um, and at the same time, it <clears throat> made me reflect upon a few things. That for us as Christians, as followers of Christ, um, that we have to be a people that understand the times we live in within our nation, but also understand that we actually have something called self-control. Um, <clears throat> the fruit of the Spirit um, includes that. And so if you are a spiritual being and following Jesus and the Holy Spirit, then he's actually giving you opportunity to have self-control. And what I want to speak to this morning just briefly is an issue that faces our nation. Um, and uh, it's highlighted in a few different passages. I'll read Psalm nineteen fourteen. Let the words of my mouth... And the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Man, I wish everyone in America would memorize that and just have that be their MO. Man, let the words of my mouth and meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. Meaning, who am I trying to please? I'm trying to please my God with the things that I say. And I think this week, along with this entire past year, has shown us Words really matter. Actually, the Proverbs speak to it that actually the power of tongue is life and death. And we've seen that on display this year. Proverbs 15.1, a soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. I don't know where everybody's at with politics or with business or with what you think about COVID or what you think about this sports team or that. <laughs> But what I know is that we are called to be people of the word. And the word says a soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Here's what I found is that when people are offended or critical or hurt or expressing their opinion or their stance on X, Y, Z, which has become very polarizing, our response as believers is to not get into it. Do you understand me? But our response is also not to cower in the corner. Our response is actually this, a soft answer turns away wrath. What does that mean? A humble answer. Wow, I can see how that's really hurtful. Help me understand more. Versus, well, I didn't do that. Or, uh, well, how can that be? Do you understand me? It's when we take offense to someone's hurt and pain instead of going low, as Jesus has taught us to say, no, seek to understand where someone's coming from. A soft answer. So if you get in an argument with someone at work, just remember, a soft answer actually will deter the wrath and actually may open up a conversation. Because remember, all of us are humans. All of us have a heart. 
All of us have a longing to know God and to be loved and to be important and to have value, to have family. That is a human across cultures, across nations. Every human heart longs for family, longs to be loved, longs to know God. There's a longing there. And those longings get veiled and trampled and confused with stuff happening. But we have to come back to the simplicity of Jesus and say, no, he can meet all those longings. The last verse we'll share is Proverbs 16, 24. Gracious words are like a honeycomb, sweetness to the soul and health to the body. Gracious words. You know, you may hear people talking about how do we heal our nation or healing within a family or healing within the church or healing. It's the gracious words. That's what Jesus came and did. People picked up stones to throw at someone. He said, hold on, lay down the first stone. Whoever who's without sin, throw it. And no one could throw the stone. Jesus came and extended grace. And us as believers, we have an opportunity to extend grace and mercy and understanding in a way that really our world does not know. If you want to be salty in 2021, extend grace. If you want to be salty in 2021, a soft answer, not a harsh one. You want to be salty in 2021? Let the words out of your mouth, these words that you say in private, in public, and that you type, let those words be acceptable to him. That is the call. That is the wheat and the chaff separation happening in 2021, just so you know. There are the real believers and the pretenders. The pretenders want to ascribe to the club called Christianity, but the real ones will surrender and change and commit and obey Jesus and hold themselves accountable to the word of God more than a human holding them accountable. That's the difference. That's our church. So you want to know where we're going in 2021? We're going after that. We're going after Jesus. We're going after being the real deal, as I like to say, to be 24-7 Christians. Not part-time. We're looking for full-time. We're looking for overtime Christians at Antioch. So you ready to put in some OT? That's what we're doing at Antioch. Amen? And the last thing the Lord reminded me of was this phrase, Jehovah Rapha. You may not know that, but Jehovah Rapha translated means the Lord who heals. And I was looking this up, and I'm reading this proverb, gracious words are like a honeycomb, sweetness to the soul and health to the body. Man, we need health in this body. We need health in our families. We need health in our marriages, and we certainly need health in our nation. But how is that health? How is that unity? How is that going to happen? It's not going to be through any legislation. It's not going to be through any transfer of power or wealth or notoriety or fame. It's going to come through the gracious words of Christ being uttered from our lips onto another human soul so they can receive the grace of God that has the power to affect the soul. That is the church. That is our role. That is our Goal And it says, Jehovah Rapha, I was looking this up, and what's interesting is in Exodus 15, I know you guys are all reading this morning, but in Exodus 15, I'll remind you, you know the story, Moses goes before Pharaoh, 
Ten plagues happen, right? The Jews get released from 400 years of slavery in Egypt. They cross the Red Sea because God parted the Red Sea, right? There wasn't some six-inch land bridge like you've heard about in science class. Legitimately parted waters, hundreds of feet tall. Three million-plus people walk across the Red Sea. Egyptian army follows them. God then closes the waters. It literally drowns the entire Egyptian army. The people of Israel are free, and they are celebrating. It's exciting. But then they look back. They're like, there's the water, and here's the wilderness. Whoa. Uh-oh, we're free, but where do we go? So they start trekking along, and about three days in, they start getting thirsty. And they arrive to this place called Merah, and they show up, and, and, and they try to drink the water, and it's bitter. And they're like, oh, my gosh, Moses. You know, it's like classic. He didn't make the water bitter. Classic. Just 2020. It's the leader's fault. And it's like... What did he do? He just showed up, okay? So he shows up. The water's bitter. It says the people are grumbling at Moses because the water, you can't drink it. Like he went before and poisoned or something. It's just ridiculous. So he shows up, and and he's like, Lord, what do I do? And the Lord says, take this log and throw it in the river. We've all done that before, right? Just kidding. So he takes this log, throws it in the river, and then boom, miracle, it turns to water sweet. Right? Remember Jesus turning water to wine? Moses here, he turned the water from bitter to sweet. The very thing they were complaining and grumbling about, God actually sweetened it. It's called grace, by the way, and mercy. Sweetens the water. Exodus 15. So, they, so this happens and in verse 26, saying, If you will diligently listen to the voice of the Lord your God, and do that which is right in his eyes, and give ear to his commandments, and keep all his statutes... I will put none of the diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord your healer. Now, I want to read this again in light of our current present day. If you will diligently listen to the voice of the Lord your God and do that which is right in his eyes and give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord your healer. The context is this, though. The grumbling people who just got miraculously saved and then got miraculous, sweet, purified, you know, ultra whatever water, they're drinking that, and the Lord says, now just so you know, you've got to obey me. You've got to honor me. You've got to keep my statutes. If you want things to go well with you, you may not send a plague and disease through your whole camp. This is what's necessary. You see, the grace of God is attached to the, to, the, to the response and the willingness to obey God. You can't receive the grace of the cross until you come and you humbly surrender and admit that I'm a sinner and I need saving. And that I'm willing to follow him. You don't get saved just because you click on a button. You get saved because you surrender to Jesus and you acknowledge I am wretched and destined for eternal separation in a place called hell. And I don't want that. I want to be known and I want to be forgiven and I want to live this life fully like he intended. And so therefore I will surrender to Jesus and you can have everything. Here you go, Lord. This is my life. And you surrender it to him. And he says, come on in. You've received my grace. Every time Jesus healed somebody in the New Testament, he didn't just go heal them. He said, great. The healing 
was accompanied with the kingdom reality that he is the Lord. The Messiah has come. Grace is coming through heaven to them. It was not just thanks for healing my finger. It was healing my finger and I want you to know me. Do you understand? It was not about the signs and wonders. It was about the relationship with the person distributing the signs and wonders. But the signs and wonders should make people say, oh my gosh, how did that happen? Oh, it's you, Jesus. Oh my gosh, you parted the Red Sea. That's incredible. Thank you, God. Not three days later grumbling. But we tend to be like them, don't we? Man, remember what God did six months ago? No, but man, last week was terrible. I don't know about this God thing anymore. Last week was hard at work. What? It's like we're so, we're like so short-lived. It's, it's, we don't have perspective. Because God's been around a long time. He's actually seen lots of things. Wars, societies, elections, pandemics. He's still God. That hasn't changed. It's not changing us. Amen? So that's what we're going for, guys. Our nation needs Jehovah Rapha, the Lord who heals. But I believe fully the only way that's going to happen is when ones and twos across our land begin surrendering their lives to Jesus and say, Lord, I will follow your ways. I will do things your way. It is not going to happen any other way, I believe. Amen. All right. That was not the whole sermon, but here we go. All right. Well, along this line of needing to be reminded of where we've come from, you know, last week I, we just did a shorter message on encouragement. And if you didn't catch it, I would love for you to listen to that because I unpacked for you more or less our house rules for prophecy. So if you're interested in that and you're saying, what is the deal with prophecy and prophetic words and what does that even mean? And even if that weirds you out and you're like, prophecy, it's like, yes, it's in the Bible and it's here present day. And we unpacked a little bit just to give us some house rules and how we go about doing that, knowing that everyone's got their own background and what they bring into this house, and that's great. But I'm letting you know in this church, that's the way we're going to operate in regards to the prophetic, because we believe it's biblically supported and historically and experientially supported, and it provides the best culture for building up and honoring one another. Amen? So if you didn't hear that message, you need to go back and listen to it. It's pretty short. It's like 15 minutes, my shortest message ever on... <laughs> that topic. Amen? But hopefully you're encouraged last week. And today, um, I just want to remind us of a little bit of our story, actually. And I was realizing I haven't shared um, maybe parts of this story publicly before. And really what I wanted to dive into is a little bit as to how Ashley and I met and how um, I became in love with the church really for the first time in my life and what that experience was like. And so it's going to lead us up to before we planted this church in 2009, okay? So just kind of a little time warp here. We're going to go back, reset the clock, like, you know, 15 years. You ready? Okay, so here we go. Um, in 2001, my wife, Ashley, was a freshman at Baylor University, and she was trying to find, I knew that was going to come, she was trying to find her way in college. And she always tells me the story. There was this uh, other freshman named Clark. And uh, Clark, he would, he would walk on campus with, like, Chacos. And, you know, he kind of looked like the guy from Austin who likes to rock climb all the time. One of those guys. The hair was kind of everywhere. The Chacos. He was just, but he always had a Bible. Just, you know, you're like, man, hippie kind of 
guy, and so she would be walking across campus, and he, he knew her from some classes, some organizations, and she would say every week, Clark would see her at the same time and invite her to come to church or invite her to come to life group at Antioch, and she was like, you're weird. I'm not going to do that. <laughs> so this happened like every week, her freshman fall semester. Literally, she would say, I just ignore Clark. Oh, here goes Clark again. He's going to ask me to go to Antioch again. He's going to ask me to go to life group. He's going to try to pray for me again, you know, like just over and over and over. So eventually, though, Clark's persistence won over. Let's go Clark. So, yeah, let's go Clark. <laughs> so Ashley showed up, and she went to their college service and then and just had never experienced anything like it, where people are really worshiping the Lord, like these college students who were excited about Jesus. She just had not seen that. People were, like, praying for each other, not saying, I'll pray for you, but literally, like, I'm going to pray for you now. And they're like, now, now, like, now, now. You know, um, she, people were like fasting. She had her stories of people going on these mission trips to like the Middle East. And she's thinking, you went where, you know, and just has started hearing stories. And, and then people were, were, were sharing testimonies in their life groups and preaching about the word of God, how they're radically following Jesus. She just had not heard about this, but deep down her soul was longing for something to give her life to. Right. And we all are. We're longing to just get behind that one thing. And so there she is, a freshman, her spring uh, year of her freshman year, began getting more involved with the church and life group, and her life totally transformed and changed. Insert me, 2004, a few years later. I am at a and I'm at spring, uh, spring junior year, 2004, and I go to visit a friend named Brandon who went to high school with me who went to Baylor. I did not know Ashley or anything, and I was involved in church, kind of, but I would say in college, I was a church goer and a church attender. I didn't really participate in the church. I just went because I knew I was supposed to go, and I would kind of hop around churches. Um, I wasn't part of any really small group communities, anything like that. I just kind of, uh, you know, I was like the good Christian kid who did the college experience, but kind of just the church was like fourth or fifth on the list. So I go up to Waco on this weekend. It's actually MLK weekend, so coming up in about a week here will be our anniversary of meeting. And I remember going up there on the same afternoon, and I'm watching some, some NFL playoff football with him and some of his buddies, and they tell me there's a party that they're, that they're going to that night. Now, just for context, I was not a big party guy. I didn't mind going to parties. I didn't drink or get drunk or do that kind of stuff, but I, I was sociable, that kind of thing. And so I was like, okay, great. So we went. And um, that night, she happened to be at this party. And, but this, I mean, this is like radical follower Jesus girl. It's like, what are you doing at the party, right? And um, she actually was there because she had gotten into a sorority as a junior in college. And she had uh, rushed for it because she really felt like the Lord was telling her, hey, I want you to make the sorority a mission field. And so you're going to rush and get in and you're going to minister to these freshman girls. That's why she got in. And so she got into it. So here she is week one into the sorority. And they're all saying, hey, we need to go to this party. So as she's finishing up at Life Group, Antioch Life Group, at a college student's house Sunday night, and they're texting her and calling, like, hey, you should come with us. She's like, okay. She's like, I got in this thing to kind of be around these girls and minister to them. I'll go. She did not want to go to the thing. She had been her church closed from all day. So she goes with them. She shows up to this party. She's there. I'm there. We end up talking, connecting, getting to know each other. The next day, I stay in town, stay at a friend's place. We meet up and talk. A week later, I'm sending her flowers because she's sick. 
Two weeks later, I find myself at World Mandate. Okay? So you, you, the, the progression is quite quick. Now, I actually came to World Mandate the weekend mostly because she had invited me, this new guy she just met. We weren't even dating. It was just kind of getting to know each other still. She invited me to her sorority party's date thing on a Friday night. So there we are wearing togas Friday night to this date party thing at Baylor. Where I still got like a sore thumb. Just Aggies and Bears don't mix a lot. Uh, I'll get into that later. So I was there, and it, I was like, whatever. So we do this thing Friday night. Saturday morning, wake up, and we go to World Mandate. Which, by the way, she will tell you she didn't really want me to go because that was like her time with God and did not want this new guy to ruin that. <laughs> Girls, you may have thought the same thing. So I show up to uh, World Mandate, and people are dressed up and garbed from all different countries. I'm like, is this some sort of exhibit? What is going on here? You know, I didn't have exposure to Antioch. I didn't know. The church I went to, no hands raised. Hands here. Yes, sir. Sit up. Sit. Listen. Leave. It's pretty much what I was used to. And nothing wrong with that. It's just, it was just kind of, that's, that's what it was. And so... We show up, and guys, I'm telling you, my heart was like pounding out of my chest. I couldn't, I could not even give you words. But I walk in this room, and a couple thousand people are worshiping Jesus at the top of their lungs. And I had never been in an environment like that in my life where it felt real. And you walk in, you're like, I don't know what that is, but it smells like God <laughs> is in this place. And people don't really care about whatever everyone else is wearing or what they're doing. They're just fixed on him. And people are worshiping. It's not, it's not a concert. It was like worship. And I'm like, what is this? Like, this is, and then they get these guys that share these missionaries, these stories that are just blow your circuits, like God healing and this miraculous thing and tribes getting saved and them getting malaria 12 times and still going back. And it's just like, whoa, I mean, just, you know. It's like the bare grills of missionaries, just hardcore people. Just what is going on? I'm just like, I'm just I'm glad I have a Bible, you know. Just yeah, I thought I was doing pretty good around Immaculate. I'm pretty good, you know. And and I'm thinking, what is going on in this girl that I'm liking and she's cute? And I'm like, but she's just she doesn't care about me. She's just worshiping. And I'm like, this is so weird. You know. They give opportunities to people to respond. We prayed for it. I never in my life had someone, like, prayed over me. You know, outside of my mom had done that consistently. But I, just literally like a stranger saying, hey, I want to pray for you. Like, okay, why? You know, <laughs> I, I, why do you want to do that? <laughs> Is something wrong with me? Is there, uh, uh, pray for me. Was, yeah. and, and people pray for me, and they give me a prophetic word. or You know, uh, uh, and, and I'm like, or they say something like, how did you know that? How how did you know that? I'm thinking, this, this is weird. I don't, I've known Jesus a long time, but not like this. I mean, this is a different Jesus. What is Jesus 2.0? What's going on here? I just don't know what's going on. And so I'm at this conference, and then the conference ends, and it's this missions conference thing. Well, that was just kind of a one and done, you know, the big missions conference thing. You know, I'm doubting, you know. Then I go up on a weekend to visit Ashley, and I show up on a Sunday morning, and I'm like, this is so different. This is not like anything I've ever experienced. 
it's the same Sunday morning. It's people are worshiping. The, the preaching was clear. It was direct. It wasn't wishy-washy. There was people that are serving, that are joyful to be there. And then I would go to her college life group, and these guys who knew me from nothing, who didn't owe me anything, would just pray for me, ask me how I'm doing. They would check in on me. I'm like, I don't even go to your school. Like, how do you, why do you care about me? And I began to experience the transformational power of the church. Never in my life did I ever use the words, I love the church. God loves the church. Jesus loves the church so much. He actually says, I'm coming back for my bride one day. It's a whole book in Revelation written, this letter written, describing the events that are going to happen in the end times. And he's coming back for his church. But I, that never registered. Church was what you do. It was not who you are and what you're part of. Church was an organization versus family. And when something's an organization versus family, you treat it differently. When I discovered there is more, there is something real here, it began changing me in so many ways. So fast forward, Ashley and I decided to get hitched after a couple years of incredible pursuit and dating on my part, (laughs) where she finally said yes. (laughs) Oh, I had some misses, but hey. That's why there's grace. Um, So we got married in February 2006, and as we were getting um, uh, married, I graduated from Texas A&M with a construction science degree, and I was going to do construction, all that sort of stuff. But as we were talking, as we were following final months of engagement, we said, where are we going to live? I'm in College Station. What are we going to do? And we have family in Houston, family in Austin. We have opportunities business-wise to do whatever we want to kind of deal and um, we prayed about it, and we were like, I think we want to go where God's moving. And I'm sure he's moving lots of places, but the only place we were knew about was in Waco at this church. And Waco, Waco was not cool then, just so you know. <laughs> Chip and Joanna were there. They just weren't big time. Okay, and it, it, Baylor revamped their whole campus. There's a lot going on. Okay, now it's like, cool. It's like, you guys go to Waco. Some of you are like, we went to Waco. I'm like, no one ever said that in college. No, I don't know one person like, I went to Waco for the weekend. Like, Why? You don't ask that now. You know. It's for the cookies and the cupcakes and the, I know. So we're like moving to Waco. So family professors are like, are you nuts? Are you going to throw away your degree? Are you th- what are you doing? I mean, we love you, but you're crazy. Waco? Isn't that where David Koresh was? Or, I mean, come on. You know? I mean, literally, that was, it was the eyesore of Texas in many ways. Literally. You know, because you used to make fun of it if you're over the age of 40. If you're younger, you're like, I don't know, Waco's cool, you know? But we moved to Waco, Texas. We moved there for the church. People would say, are you on staff there? No. We're moving there for the church. Why? I don't know. We just found something real. And I don't want to let go of that because I haven't found anywhere else. So we moved to Waco, and we were married in February. We rent a little apartment or a little duplex, and we apply for ADS, Antioch Discipleship School. We have one here, and we apply for it. And all through college, she was talking about when to apply. So we were like, hey, let's apply. That sounds great. Like, we want to establish our marriage this first year and really give a solid foundation for the word of God, teach the scripture, and kind of lay us on the right tracks, you know? So we apply, and we're so excited, and everyone's like, man, y'all are going to love it. You're in. It's going to be great. 
And then one day we get a call from one of the, uh, one of the folks on the ADS staff. Say, hey, can I just come over and talk with you guys? Like, sure. So we're thinking they're going to do like the in-person congratulations, you know, balloons and stuff. Like, you're accepted, you know. And, and um, he knocks on the door. His name's John. And he walks in. Hey, guys, can sit down? I said, yeah. And he said, well, we looked at our application interviews and prayed through it and talked about it. And we're not going to accept you guys in the school. Which is a nice way of saying you're rejected. And, um, and we're like, it just was not registering. Because we didn't really hear many people who, like, got rejected from ADS. It's like, usually it's like, you're like a known felon or something, and they just found out, and so you can't, you know. I mean, it's just like extreme. And so we're like, what? So he talks to us, he leaves, and I am, like, ballistic. I mean, we were, like, so hurt. We experience God at this church. She did in college. We get married. We move our lives there against everybody else's advice to be a part of this church and to do this discipleship school. And then it's like, no. Those two weeks were crucial in our lives. And I would say crucial in this church's history. And those two weeks, we made a decision to either stay or leave. We had every right to leave. We didn't even have any friends yet. We had... I think we had like one dinner and it was like seven girls and me because Ashley knew some girls from college and it's like, this is miserable. I, I mean, I could be nice, but you know, that's, that's too much. And you know, I just, uh, can I go watch a game or something? You guys, oh, okay. It was, I didn't have any friends. I didn't know anybody in Waco. There was no, all of our friends moved on. It's like, what are we doing here? Like she wasn't a leader in college. She never had a leadership position at Antioch. It wasn't like I never led anything in church. It's like, we're just nobodies at this church. And it's like, we moved here, and they're like, oh. So we had to make a decision. I could have gone to Austin to move with family, do construction, the Hardy family construction business. I could have gone to Houston and worked for a dad at this company. I, we had opportunities. And those two weeks were crucial, guys. It was a fork in the road. And we said, we're going to stay. We moved here because we wanted to be where God is. And that hurts, but maybe God has something else for us. Thankfully, he came to our senses and said, okay, we're in. So we committed to being in. And then we found out two weeks later, there was a mission trip going to Sheffield, England, a college mission trip. Now, um, Ashley, in college, if you don't know about Antioch, we have zones, so family zone, young adult zone, college zone, so forth. And then we have sections, which is a section is like comprised of three or four life groups or in a section, then there's life groups, right? That's kind of the way we're broken down organizationally as, as a church of small groups. So... Um, in her section, their section leaders were actually this, this, this couple, Daniel and Jeannie. And they left to go plant an Antioch church in Sheffield, England, just like a year before. And several people in their section were, of course, interested in wanting to go join with them, and they'd invited many of them. And so we jumped on this college mission trip because, listen, we just got rejected from ADS. I didn't like the job that I just got in Waco, so I was planning on quitting that job. And so three months into marriage, I quit my first job. We empty our savings, which was very little, to self-fund our mission trip to Sheffield, England, to a new church plant, and we're like, what are we doing? We're like, I don't know. You, you do things that you don't really think through when you're hurting. Just remember that. So we went, and it's like the newlyweds and like these 15 college students, and we're like, what are we doing? I mean... We go, and we're sharing the gospel. We're loving on people. You know, the British are tough cookies, man. I mean, they, it's like, hey, have you heard about Jesus? They're like, man, the weather's great today. And you're like, we're talking about Jesus. How's the weather? I mean, they really talk about the weather a lot. And um, 
It's, it's not just a thing. It's, it's, it's for real. And so we're there, and I'll tell you, though, God knew what he was doing. He always does. So we go on this trip, and I wouldn't even say we're that fruitful in our evangelism stuff. We tried and, you know, had a few wins, but we're there, and we're staying with this couple. So they decided to put all the college students in a flat, in these flats, and they put us, the young couple, with this older couple in the church, kind of, which is great. So we stayed with this couple, Vic and Di. And uh, I was actually telling someone this story this week, and just reminded me, and um, um, we stay with them, and we're talking to them, talking about life, and they're kind of loving on us because we're talking about how we're hurt, and, you know, they don't know us. We're just there for a few weeks, and they share this piece of advice with us that has stuck with us these 15 years that has been massive. Here's what they said. They said, um, they said, you know, what we decided years ago is that we would always wait for the Lord's invitation, and then we would weigh that invitation. They said, instead of us inviting ourselves to the table, we would wait to be invited. And man, for us who are hungry go-getters and would like raise our hand to be first in class, we needed that. Yeah. And that was like, that, I believe to this day, that was the Lord speaking through them to get to us all the way in England and to say, this is how you're going to orient your life. You're going to wait for the invitation. You're not going to invite yourself to the table. You're going to wait for me so that you can trust me. And you may think you're ready, but if you're not ready, I won't invite you. So we kind of took this mindset. We will wait for the invitation and then weigh the invitation. We want to wait for it, and then we want to weigh it. Wouldn't you know, a few days after this advice, we get invited by Daniel and Jeannie leading the team in Sheffield to join their team. These are the ADS rejects, by the way. And I think we told them that. You know, it's like, you guys know he's got rejected from ADS, right? We've never led anything in the church, right? Like ever. Like, no, no, we want you guys. So we take that last week of the trip and pray through it. And we were serious. We were like, hey, what do we got to lose? We're young. We don't have kids yet. Nobody wants us in Waco. <laughs> I mean, you know, classic just journaling. Someone loves us, you know, just, you know, the spiral. It's a spiral. Just, you need counseling there. Just uh, don't spiral there. You are loved, but we tend to think, no one loves me. That's not true. But we were young and mature. So we're there, and we're praying through it. And I would have told you when they asked us, we were going to tell them yes. But, man, the next few days, as we prayed and talked, we were like, this, doesn't, this isn't right. We're not supposed to do this. And she's thinking, I've been thinking about this for three years. What? Like, why is this not a yes? This should be a yes. I mean, England, it sounds amazing. I love soccer. This would be incredible. <laughs> And the Lord just so clearly us different ways. He's like, nope. So we leave. A little discouraged, like, we got invited, but then we said no. And then we get back on the plane and go back to Waco, and, and we had to make a decision. Okay, Lord, if that's not it, we're going to wait for another invitation. But until that day, we're going to put our heads down and march forward. Here's where I'll wrap it up today. Um, so we marched forward, and what did we do? Um, we didn't have a role in the church. We weren't trained in ministry. We were just a couple of people with some jobs, and we were in our young 20s and just married. But we said we're going to stay at the church. So we went back and we visited the church over and over, and someone invited us to a life group. We went to a life group and didn't connect well with that life group, and then went to another one, didn't connect well, then went to another one, and we felt like maybe we could belong here. We were the youngest people in that life group. It was a young adult life group, but we were the youngest people. And um, so we're in it, and we're just loving on people. We're just 
Simply, we're doing our jobs, coming to life group, excited just to be there, getting involved in discipleship, serving where we can. And six months later, they ask us to be life group interns. And so we're like, we're like the youngest people in this life group. We're the newest people. Like, this doesn't feel right. But we waited for the invitation. We waited. We said, okay, we're going to do it. So we step into entering this life group. Now, we didn't know at that time when they asked you to intern, that means you're about to multiply the life group out. And then, and then for us, we were like, oh, we're about to go start something new and lead some these people. And so it came to the life group multiplication night. And, um, you know, we're, we're like telling everybody, hey, we're taking two weeks to pray through this and seek God and go where you feel led to go. And it all sounds good. Um, until you're in our situation. And so then you show up that night, and there's like 35 or something people, 40 people in the life group. And there's like, okay, here's this leadership team, the existing leadership team. And here's a new leadership team, the Hardys, you know. We're like, hi, you know. And um, so literally how we did this, it was like a living room. You know, we don't do like this. We learn. Lessons learned. You learn from your pain, right? So, um, so it was like, so like the A team's over here in this corner. They're like, hey, and everyone's like, oh, I know him. Yeah, he's safe. He's trustworthy. We, you know, he's discipled me. We've been okay. They're like, what's your last name again? You know, we're over here. And um, so they're like, literally, this is how we did it. It was, all right, we're all going to say one, two, three, go. Oh, yes. And so just go where you feel led to go. Right? Which, remember, social pressure's real. So someone's like this. They're like, I mean, we had some of that going on. Some indecisive, like, hey, dude, come on, like, come on. So, anyways, long story short, I'm pretty sure Katie Pleasant, who goes to our church, by the way, her and Paul, I don't know where Katie is. She was part, she took a risk on us. She's the only person. But no, we had, I think we had four people come to our side. So Hardy's plus four, and there's like 30 people over here. And so, but you know, we're going to be brave. We're like, no, it's cool. Like, that's exactly what we wanted. Like, we, we're good. Like, you know, don't despise small beginnings, you know, just whatever. So we're reciting all the scriptures about small stuff, you know. And um, so, you know, it's like, now we're going to pray over each other. So we like, our crew, go over here, like, you know, just, just we're going to pray, pray for everybody. They're over here. They're like, swarm us, pray for us. We're like, suffocating. Okay, I share that with you to say this. Our rejection from ADS, our decision to stay in the church even though we were hurt, our desire to go experience the nations and put our own money into it, to then go and hear a word of advice, weigh the invitation, and then say, no, this isn't for us, and then to return home back to Waco and had to find new jobs and just get involved in the church with no one recognizing us for anything, having no value, not even being known by much of anybody, to then be in a life group and just fully commit ourselves to a life group as our main place of ministry. That is what we did. Six months in, they then raised us up to start a new life group. And you know, we did that very first life group the week after. We got them together. We said, hey, it's just us. We're going to take the next hour and a half. We're going to put on worship. We're going to pray. And we're going to ask God to speak to us because right now we have no idea what we're supposed to be doing. And so we're going to ask God to speak first. What does he want this life group to be about? So then we prayed. We got words. Katie was there. We write these things down. Then we said, now we're going to commit to that. We committed to loving the people in front of us, whoever God brought us. We committed to recruiting people every single Sunday. We said, well, our life group's small, so we're going to go after people. We see new guys, someone looks lost on a Sunday. Hey, you want to come to our life group? We committed to reaching people out in the community. And we decided to devote ourselves to the church by leading a great little life group. 
We discipled people. We would, we would do things like we, we had uh, for all the men. Eventually, we did, uh, we, we did Fridays, uh, bring, bring your own mug Fridays. Went to this little coffee taco shop. They only had styrofoam cups. No one wanted to drink out of those. We all brought our own mugs. And we showed up there like 10 guys. And we would drink this, this disgusting coffee, and, but just talk about life. We would do man nights where we said you had to take your shirt off. We're going to have no utensils. We're eating meat and potatoes, and it's going to be fun. <laughs> the girls would do girl things. I mean, we, we, we um, I, I don't really know what those are, but, but I'm sure they were great. Um, and not our politics and not our form of government. He's returning for his bride. And I am telling you from the innermost place of me, I share that story with you because I want you to know it was not my paid job to love the church. I was a volunteer, a servant of God, just like you, who said, I'm going to give my life to a group of people and see transformation happen. I can sit here and tell you stories all day of people who came to our life group, who got saved, who got discipled, who got ministered to, who are now working for the government and the FBI, who are now running in politics, who now run companies, some who, who work in ministry, some who are on, on, uh, literally on staff at different churches across the country, people who are missionaries overseas who came through our life group and got loved, got discipled, got known, got cared for, and they weren't clamoring for everything else. They were clamoring for family that meant something called the church. That story is for you to stir your affections again. Life group's messy. The church is messy because it's a bunch of messy people, us. It's messy, man. But I don't know anything in life that's worth much that isn't hard. If church is easy, you're probably not accomplishing anything. Truly. If your marriage is just like perfect and nothing ever happens, you're probably not being honest. We are committed to what Jesus has called us to, which is to make disciples of Jesus who transform towns and nations. We are committed to Jesus Christ and the church being the hope of the world. And that's where we're going this year. We're going to unpack that more in the weeks to come, but I want you to be stirred again. As we get going after life groups again and stuff, please don't discount them. Don't poo-poo them or be like, oh, life group, I could go or not go. It was life or death for us. Seriously, because people's lives hung in the balance at times, more so now than ever. I mean, I'm telling you, the difference between ministering to someone in a moment in seven minutes could be the game changer for the rest of their life. I told our volunteer this team this morning, I said, someone years ago shared with me that the currency of heaven is the souls of men and women. And I don't know about you, but I want to spend my life investing in the souls of men and women which means our kids workers this morning, they're investing in children that probably don't know their name. But they are investing in little souls. Our host team, they're investing. You at your place of business or work, the way you treat and love and respect your coworkers, you get to invest in their souls. Yes, we've got projects and tasks to do, but it is not more important than people. Right, we always say whenever something gets broken, because I get, I'm like, oh, we broke into the glass. Ashley reminds me, people are more important than things. <laughs> and it's true. It's biblical. That is God's heart. He came to seek and save the lost and to restore them and to make disciples and to pull his bride together, call the church to say, this is where my glory will be on display. This is where the power will come. When we are unified and we are together, this is where the action is. So I'm telling you, church, I want us to check our hearts. 
check our souls again and say, has my love grown cold for the church? And if it has, we want God to light it a fire again. Amen? So let's stand as we do that. It went a little long today, so I apologize for that. The snow will still be there, hopefully. (laughs) But right now, I just want us to put our hand on our hearts right now, guys, because I believe this is a moment we have as a church. If you're watching online tomorrow or right now, or streaming, I want you to put your hand over your heart right now. And I want us to pray. I'm just going to pray. I want you to agree with me. Lord Jesus, would you... Would you take the coldness, take the pain, take the rejection, take the hurt, take the discouragement, take it from us, Lord, we pray. Take it off our hearts, Lord. Unveil our hearts again, Lord. Don't let us be darkened. Don't let us be blackened. Don't let us have hearts of stone. Oh, Lord, let us have hearts of flesh, Lord. We pray that they would be warmed up again. Would you kindle the flame again, we pray in Jesus' name. Put a fire in us again for the church. Put a fire again in us that every person matters. Put a fire in us again that for our life groups, they actually matter. It matters that we gather. It matters that we meet. It matters that we pray. It matters that we get in the word. It matters that we disciple. It matters that we share the gospel. It matters that we are bold. Lord, it matters that people's lives hang in the balance. Lord, we want the fires of heaven to be lit again in our hearts. Let us not go through this year as zombies. Let us not go through this year just staying comfortable or going through the motions, Lord. Rip that from us, God. Don't even give us that option, Lord, we pray. Separate us, Lord, I pray. Get us off the fence. If we're on the fence, get us off it, Lord. Let us decide. You better jump. You better jump in the kingdom fully or jump off. But Lord, let us not be a people that are wavering. Let us not be people that doubt your faithfulness and your goodness because of what someone said or what someone did. You are unchanging. Even if people are hurtful and broken and sinful, that does not change you. That does not change your desire. That does not change your intentions or your mission. For all the world to hear and to know that Jesus is Lord. For people to be restored. For grace to be extended. For mercy to be realized. For truth to be held up. The church is the pillar and supporter of truth. Lord, we must engage again. Make our hearts burn, Lord, I pray. When I was at World Man in 2004, my heart was beating out of my chest because there's something real and tangible and holy that I wanted, that I was longing for. God, do it again in us. Lord, don't let us grow cold. Do not grow weary, church of doing good, the scripture says. Do not grow weary in doing good. He will prevail. He is the great conqueror. We are the overcomers in Christ Jesus. We pray, Lord, light our hearts up again. In Jesus' name.